You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Thanks so much for listening. Now, on to the message. Um, Today, we're going to start a new series called Jesus in the Present Tense. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in John chapter 6 today. And uh, we're calling this uh, Jesus in the Present Tense because Jesus had these things he said. There's seven of these these sayings that he, he had. And um, these seven sayings that he had are reflected in our stained glass windows, and so we're going to be talking through that over the course of the series. And, and these, these seven things aren't just like abstract theological things that Jesus said. These are, these are seven ways that, uh, seven practical ways that Jesus can change our life today, which is why we're calling this Jesus in the present tense, because Jesus can change your life today. It's not just about what he did. It's not just about what happens to us in the future. It's about what he can also do for us right now. So each week we're going to be looking at a different um, one of these seven um, sayings that Jesus had. And if you know the Bible and you hear me say seven, like I've just said a whole bunch of times, that should trigger some, some thought because seven, of course, is a very significant number in the Bible. You think about the seven days of creation. Sabbath, of course, is on the seventh day. There's seven weeks from Passover to Pentecost. There's seven churches that Revelation is written to. In the Gospel of John, there are seven miracles that Jesus performs before the resurrection. And then there are these seven things that Jesus said, amongst others. There's other seven things that happen in the Bible, but there's just some of them off the top of my head um, that, Jesus, that happen in the scripture. And, and these seven things, the reason th- things are spoken of in cycles of seven is to grab your attention and to, to point to you that there's, there's something uh, significant about this. Usually seven in the Bible signifies completion or fullness, that, that this is a, a full look at whatever it is you're, you're seeing there. And so we see these seven statements. And so seven times in the Gospel of John, Jesus has this, this thing that he says where it follows a formula, and the formula goes like this. He says, I am, fill in the blank with whatever he is, um, and, and in the English, that looks pretty straightforward, but at, at a deeper level, because the Gospels were in, the New Testament wasn't written in English, it was written in Greek, and in, and in Greek, that the original language is written in, when Jesus says this, I am, the Greek is ego ami, those are the two Greek words that, that Jesus is using whenever he says, um, I am. And what's significant about these, these, um, these two words here, ego ami, is that both of those words mean I am. So Jesus is kind of saying, I am, I am. And if you heard someone say that in real life, I am, I am, that would really catch your attention because obviously someone's trying to say something when they say that. And it's not like Jesus is stuttering. Jesus has a point to what he's saying. He says it seven times this redundant way of saying I am because he's trying to draw us to a a realization. Uh, By saying this I am, I am, he's reminding us of the name of God. Remember, the name of God is revealed to Moses in the burning bush, Exodus chapter 3. Remember, Moses is tending sheep, and he's a fugitive from, from Egypt, and he's tending sheep, and he comes across this bush that's burning, but it's not really burning up, and so he comes closer to it, and he hears the voice of the Lord speak to him through the bush, and, and the voice of the Lord tells Moses that he's going to be sent back to Egypt to set his people free, the Israelites free from slavery, and Moses has just a whole bunch of objections on why he's the wrong person to go. And a whole bunch of objections of why he shouldn't go. And finally, one of his objections is just simply this. Who should I say is sending me? Like when I show up to the Egyptians and the Israelites and I say that the Israelites are going to be set free, who am I supposed to say is sending me? Just like this burning bush isn't enough. I need a name behind this. And so Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God says to Moses, we read this, um, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And here is the divine name, the name of God, I am. It's a Hebrew, uh, it's a pun really off the Hebrew word to be, the verb to be. And, and really what God is, is saying here is I, I am who I am, is I, I am 
existence. I am reality. I am the source. I am presence. Like, who am I? I, I just... I just am. There's nothing more real than me. There's nothing more, more true than me. I just, I just am who I am. That's who I am. And so Jesus seven times will pull on this and he'll say, I am, I am. This is who I am. And what he's trying to tell us is that I am the one who is in the burning bush. I am the one who parted the Red Sea. I am the one who delivered the Israelites out of Egypt. I am the one who was there from the beginning and will be there till the end. I am the one who is true. I am the one who is existence. I am him in all of his form and all of his glory. And I'm going to show you what he's like now. I am, I am. This is what he's like. So seven times we read this. The first one we see comes from John chapter six. We're going to start um, reading this today. Verse uh, 35 is where Jesus says this. And the first I am that Jesus has is this. Jesus says, I am, I go in me. I am, I am, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. I am, I am. I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will never be hungry. Whoever thirsts in me, whoever is thirsty will never be thirsty because of, because of who he is. Now, of course, Jesus doesn't just say things out of the blue. He always says them for a purpose. He's got a reason for this. And so we're going to back up a few verses, and I'm going to read the context leading into this verse so we can see what it is and why it is he says um, this, this, this great declaration of who he is and who God is. So let's back up to verse 25 and just read into this verse and, and see why it is that Jesus says this. Verse 25 says, when they, that is the crowds, found him, that is Jesus, on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Now they're confused on where Jesus has been because the day before this happens, Jesus was on the other side of the lake. It's a big lake, like eight miles across, big lake. And he spent the day there on the other side of the lake uh, teaching and preaching to the crowds. He'd gathered around and spent the whole day with them. And at the end of the day, uh, he had turned to his disciples and, and he told his disciples, hey, you should give them something to eat because it's getting late. And his disciples looked back at Jesus with like wide eyes and, and they're like, Jesus, there's like 5,000 people here. How in the world are we supposed to give them something to eat? And, and one of his disciples, Andrew, comes along and says, well, Jesus, I, I found a few loaves of bread and here's a few fish from this boy. This, this is about the only thing I could, I could scrounge up. And Jesus, being Jesus, is like, I can work with that. We, we can make this happen. And he tells the people, have them sit down in groups and, and start handing out the, the bread and the fish sticks and we'll just see how far it goes. And so they keep handing out the bread and the fish sticks and they pass them out a little bit and then they pass them out a little bit more and keep passing out the bread and the fish and keep passing out the bread and the fish. And before long, people have seconds and then thirds and then there's enough, not just enough, there's leftovers. And, and, and after this, um, his disciples uh, get on a boat and they go across the lake. Jesus goes by himself. And in the middle of the night, Jesus catches up to his disciples. They're in a boat, he's on foot, catches up to them in the middle of the night and uh, lands on the other side of the lake. And so this is why the crowds are confused. Where Jesus, like, when did you get here? How did this happen? Well, here's what Jesus answered. Verse 26, Jesus answered, um, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. I love when Jesus answers questions by not answering the question. I just love it. Where'd you get here? Then he says that. Verse 27. He goes on, he says, Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Now, we just heard something that Jesus said in modern ears and a modern way of understanding it that would have been different than if you were in the first century and a, and a Jewish person in the first century, how, how you would have heard it. Uh, first century Jewish ears would have heard something very different than we just heard when we read this verse. Because we heard Jesus say, uh, you should not 
you should, you should buy a lot of canned goods. That's what Jesus said. Work for food that, that doesn't spoil. And we think non-perishables. But what the followers of Jesus in the first century, what, what they heard in, in Jewish ears is they, they thought, oh yeah, I remember that time where God gave a very significant um, amount of food to people for years at a time. And very famously, that food would spoil. Do you know what that food is? Manna. Jesus is referencing manna. And of anyone in the first century hearing Jesus say that would have quickly understood that Jesus is referencing manna. So let's, let's talk about manna for just a second. Do you remember the story of manna? Manna is when the Israelites are traveling, wandering around the desert. Uh, they grumble against Moses because Moses can't give them enough food to eat. And so God provides for them this, this bread from heaven. You read in, in Exodus 16. I want to read to you just a little bit about manna because it's really interesting. Uh, Exodus 16. I'm going to start reading in just verse 4. Just a few verses here about manna. Uh, it says, the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them and see whether they follow my instructions. And on the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Why twice as much on the sixth day? Well, because the seventh day is the Sabbath day and they're not supposed to be working that day. Uh, skip down several verses. Verse 14 uh, Exodus 16 says, uh, when the dew was gone, this is what manna was. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared. I'm thinking like frosted flakes is what shows up on the desert floor. Thin flakes like frost appear on the ground on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, what is that? For they did not know what it was. Moses said to them, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Verse 17, the Israelites did as they were told. Some gathered much, some little. And when they measured it by the omer, the one who had gathered much did not have too much. And the one who gathered little did not have too little. Everyone had gathered just as much as they needed. And then Moses said to them, no one is to keep any of it until morning. Why? Because God's gonna give you more the next day. However, verse 20, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning but it was full of maggots and began to smell. Not one of the verses we generally memorize, but a really good verse. So don't keep any until morning because it's gonna, it's gonna start to spoil. When Jesus says, don't work for a food that spoils, first century Jewish ears go to this story because this is a famous story, famous in their history about, about food that spoils. And so Jesus is like, I, I got something better than manna. I got something that's not gonna spoil, it's not gonna go bad. It's not gonna, you're not gonna have to go after it day after day after day after day because you're, just, you're gonna have enough all the time. You're gonna have food that doesn't spoil. And so verse 28, well, back to John 6 that is, they asked him with this food that doesn't spoil, what must we do to do the works God requires? How do we get this bread? And I think it's fascinating that the place where their mind goes is what do I need to do in order for God to give me what it is I need? What do I need to do in order to get God's blessing? What do I need to do in order for God to, to provide for me with this bread? Well, verse 29, Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna. This is what they're, it's on their minds. He's already mentioned it once. Our ancestors ate the man in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses. When he says Moses, he's talking about the Old Testament law, not just the person. It's not Moses and the rules and the thou shalt and the thou shalt nots who has given you the bread from heaven. It's not because you've earned it, but it is my father. It's my father who, 
who gives you this bread, this true bread from heaven, this gift that he has for you because this is what God is like. He gives gifts. Verse 33, for the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Verse 34, sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am, ego me. I am, I am, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. This is what God is like. I am the bread of life. I am the one who satisfies. I am the one who makes you full. I am the one who gives you what you need. I am the one who provides for you. I am the one who has a gift for you that will complete your life and make your life full and meaningful. I am the source of satisfaction that you are looking for. I am the one who will make everything come together in your life. I am the bread of life. This is the promise that God has for us, the promise that Jesus completes us and fulfills us. And this is a, a consistent way that the Bible speaks about the promise of Christ and what he does in our lives, the, the way that God satisfies us. We see this over and over and over again in the scripture that, that our God is a God who satisfies our lives. A few examples, Isaiah chapter um, 55, verse two. Isaiah says this, why spend money on what is not bread? and your labor and what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest affair. I'm gonna satisfy you. That's what Isaiah says, years before Jesus was born. Another one, Isaiah 58. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Psalm 107, this is a great verse, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Psalm 23, verse one, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I could go on and on because there's more passages like this, but there's this pervasive, consistent message of scripture that, that in the Lord, the I am who, who is and was and always will be, that, that he is one who satisfies us, that he has come to bring his goodness into our life and to provide for us and to give us what we need, that, that all that we need is found in him and that, and that he will satisfy our souls, our hunger and our longings will be met in him and that he is good and his goodness he wants to give to us this pervasive pervasive message of scripture and I I bring this up though because sometimes when I hear Christians talk I, I don't hear us talk so much about the satisfactory nature of God how God satisfies our longings I, I a lot of times hear Christians talk about all the things good Christians need to do and don't do all the rules that good Christians need to fulfill in order for God to bless them or for for them to be good Christians and and, and what the message of scripture is, is that the way that we find satisfaction, the way that we grow in this relationship with him is, it's not found in do's and don'ts and thou shalt and thou shalt nots, but it's found in this, this satisfactory, this, this way that God comes and gives us his blessing and his goodness and his, his faithfulness and his fullness in his life. That this is what God wants to do is, is he wants to share his goodness with us, not based on our our ability to follow do's and don'ts, but just simply on who he is and what he has done for us. What is the condition that Jesus gave for us to receive the bread of life in our life? What was the condition? Very simple, verse 35, Jesus said it very bluntly. Whoever believes in me, not about good Christians do or good Christians don't, it's simply this, whoever believes in me. The pervasive message of, of the Christian message that we have proclaimed for centuries is that this is found when we believe in him, when we put our faith in him, that this is what he does, that this is the condition on, 
on which to receive our our soul-satisfying experience with God, if you want to know what your life is about, if you want to have purpose and meaning in your life, if you want to know who Jesus is and what he can do for you, the condition in which to receive this is simple, belief. Now, now when I say belief, that's also kind of a problematic term because what in the world does that mean? Belief is hugely broad. And, and I can say that word belief and I can think of all kinds of ways that that word might mean. For instance, I talk to people sometimes and I tell them I'm a pastor and they say, yeah, I, I believe in God. And generally when people say something like that, what they mean is they believe like God exists. Is that what Jesus means when he says, whoever believes in me is just that, you, that he exists? Or, or sometimes people might say, I believe in God. Or, and they, they might be talking about what they believe about God. They believe certain doctrine or certain uh, um, ideas about God. Like we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in God the Father Almighty. And so we might have certain doctrines, which are hugely important. But this is sometimes how we define what it is that we believe. We might believe certain things about God. And so Christians are those who believe certain doctrines or certain dogmas, and this is what we believe about God. But what do you think Jesus meant when Jesus said, whoever believes in me? How did, how did Jesus define that word? Well, again, the Greek that Jesus used is not the word belief. Um, the Greek word that Jesus uses here is, is the word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, pistis. And pistis can be translated as belief. It can also be translated as faith. It can also be translated, I think more compellingly, can be translated as trust. Whoever trusts in me. Because you can believe that God exists on one hand, or you can believe certain things about God on that hand, but it's a totally different thing if you actually trust God. Like it's, it's possible to believe that God exists. It's possible to believe certain things about God, certain doctrines about God, certain, certain things that Christians believe, but not actually trust God with the details of your life, your future, your past, your your decisions and choices. That's a whole other matter that comes to it. The great Dallas Willard describes this belief that Jesus calls us to. And he, he says it like this. I love this quote. He says, we don't merely, we don't believe something by merely saying we believe it. So it's not that like belief is just simply that we um, say I believe in God and that's it. He also, he goes on and says, or even when we believe that we believe it, so it's not a feeling that we have. Believing in Jesus is not a feeling that we have. It's not just something we say with our lips. It's, it's more than that. And then Willard says this. I think this is so powerful. He says, we believe something when we act as if it were true. I love that. We believe something when we act as if it were true. We believe something when we act as if it were true. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever believes in me will never be hungry. I am the bread of life. I am the one who provides for your needs. I am the one who provides for your life. I am the one who provides satisfaction. I am the one who provides meaning. I am the one who provides purpose. I am the one who completes you. I am the one who fulfills you. I am the one who brings your life together and gives you a whole reason for being. Do you believe that? And when I ask, do you believe that? I'm not asking, do you believe that God exists? Nor am I asking, do you believe that Jesus is the son of God? Basic Christian doctrine. I'm asking, does your life reflect that you believe that? When we look at the real way that we really live our lives, does our real life and our real choices, our real fears about the future, our, our real concerns about today, 
Does our life in a real way that we treat people and the way, real way we deal with regrets from the past and the real way that we seek meaning in, in life or the things that we long for, does our real life reflect that Jesus is the answer for what we're looking for? That Jesus is the one who fulfills us and completes us? That our real life reflects that Jesus is the one who will make all things come together? This is the promise that God has for us, that he is the one who will satisfy you that he is the one who brings purpose and meaning and direction to your life, that he is the one who can satisfy all the longings that you have and that when you have him in your life, you're not gonna be hungry. So does your life reflect that that is your truth? I've been wrestling with that question myself this week and that's a complicated question because I have to start wondering about all the kinds of things that distract me and all the kinds of things that I chase after on a day-to-day -day basis and, and I have to come back and wonder you know, if, if, if those kinds of things reflect what I really believe about life, that my real life and how it is reflected there, I have to start wondering, I, I wonder what are the other places in my life that, that I look to satisfy me, that I look to complete me, and I look to bring me meaning and purpose. Because anywhere I'm, 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 I'm chasing after one of those things, I, I'm not believing in this promise that God has for me that he is the one who can satisfy me. And so we're calling this, this series uh, Jesus in the Present Tense. Because this promise that Jesus speaks is, is not, um, I was the bread of life for them back then. And it's not, I will be the bread of life for you when you die and go to heaven. But rather is, I am the bread of life today. In this moment, with the real challenges that you have right now. And so as we hear the promise of God, I, just, I want to pull us into this question of, do you believe this? And are, are there changes or, 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 or uh, things that you need to address in your life in order to believe more fully that he is the answer for the obstacles, the challenges, the questions, the doubts that you have today? He is the one who will bring you purpose. He is the one who will bring you meaning. He is the one who will complete your life. He is the one who will bring um, a whole new way of looking at your life. He is it. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the one that you're looking for. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, but today. Let's pray. And so Lord, today I just, I thank you for this promise that you give us in the present tense, that you are the bread of life for us right now. Um, not for people long ago who heard these words and wrote them down in a book, and not for us just when we die and go to heaven, but you, you want something for us today. Um, in the midst of our distractions, in the midst of the ways that we chase after all kinds of other things, would you pull us back to this, um, that you want to satisfy our hearts right now? And maybe this morning there's very specific things that we need to address, um, things that we know that we've been chasing after that don't lead to you or lead to anywhere good, um, things that we have been filling our minds with, anxieties and fears and, and stress. Uh, feelings of loneliness or depression, things that we have just chased after that, that aren't you. And this morning, we want to return to you and just, just confess with our hearts and our mouths and our lives that you are the hope that we have. May our choices, our decisions, the way we treat people, the places we look for purpose and meaning in life, may we find these in you because this is what you want to do for us today. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our Redeemer, we pray today. Amen. You've just listened to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. 
Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening.